at any moment, at any time of day, you're either living out a lie you've believed or you're living out a truth you have embraced. We're either acting on something false or we're acting on something true. When we lash out with our words or we return to an addiction or we resign ourselves to always fail, we're buying into a lie. And the opposite is true. Your actions are just the natural result of what you've accepted as true. When you love sacrificially and you use your limited resources to help others and you believe that real change can happen to you and happen to your world, you're revealing that you've bought into something true. It's sometimes something real beyond what you can even see. Our actions are the natural result of living out this truth. According to the Bible, we have two voices whispering to us at any time of the day, the serpent and the spirit. Uh, the spirit said, will lead us into truth. It will teach us how to pray and pray for us. It'll help us remember the words of Jesus. The spirit is our advocate. Whereas the serpent is the father of lies and leads to self-loathing and twists God's words and is called the accuser. Today, we're looking at the temptation of Jesus as we work through the book of Matthew together. And we're going to talk about how the devil works and how we respond to his activity in our lives and in our world. Every time the character of the devil shows up in the Bible, he's doing one of two things. He's either lying or he's talking about how worthless humans are. When we're lying to ourselves or lying to others, when we're talking about how worthless we think we are or how worthless some other human being is, we're reciting a script that the enemy wrote long ago. We're not sounding like God, we're sounding like the devil. So first, let's talk about the enemy's name. We simply don't know it. Satan is not his name. It's a title. It's a Hebrew title that means adversary. It's used in the Old Testament both to describe uh, this hostile enemy of humanity, but also to describe hostile kings. The enemy is also called the devil, which simply means the accuser. Again, it's a title, not a name. The Old Testament authors use a symbolic image of a serpent to describe this great enemy. The New Testament authors use the symbolism of a dragon and a roaring hungry lion. Um, you might be like, wait a minute, Alex, isn't the name of the devil Lucifer? No, the word Lucifer is a Latin translation of the morning star, the planet Venus. It's the second brightest light in the sky next to the sun. Just before dawn breaks, when it's still dark, Venus is the brightest light in the sky for a moment. Before dawn comes, and then once the sun bursts onto the scene, light spreads everywhere and Venus is quickly overshadowed. This title was given symbolically to the great enemy in scripture. It's not the devil's name. But let's be honest, that's not really what we're deeply concerned about as modern, educated Westerners, right? It doesn't matter what we call him or what we don't call him. We're less concerned about what the Satan is named and more concerned with whether or not he even exists. Is there a devil? Uh, to our modern Western educated minds, the idea of the devil seems absurd. It's like a holdover from the dark ages when people imagine goblins living in the woods and they're like, don't go out at night, the goblins might grab you. In some ways, our modern Western world has isolated us from the still very real world expressions of demonic power uh, that my friends in South America or Africa or remote places in Asia encounter all the time. 
humans are capable of incredible nobility and unbelievable depravity. But when the Christian looks out and sees the Holocaust or widespread racism or global pandemic, they also see the sinister hand of an unseen intelligence that hates humanity and wants it to suffer. An evil intelligence that wants us to bomb each other, slander each other, and hate each other. The devil can't hurt God, but he can hurt the people God loves. He can hurt the people that God made in his image. In the 1995 movie, The Usual Sex Suspects, there's this great quote. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. In the context of the movie, the, the idea is crime is easy when no one thinks you're a suspect. At best, when we hear the devil, we imagine the comical farce of red tights and pitchforks and horns. Uh, we think of Jason Sudeikis on SNL. All these cultural representations set our mind at ease and lull us into a false sense that we're not actively fighting a war with an ancient cosmic evil. It makes us forget that we have to always be vigilant to reject the lies that float into our heads and that so often roost in our hearts. For me, believing in a cosmic evil is actually easier than believing in a cosmic good. Like, I don't look out at the world and say, oh man, I wonder if there's evil. You know, like, it's obvious. Like, turn on the news. Evil is everywhere. What's the number one reason that people say they don't believe in God? Because they say, how can God be good when there's so much evil in the world? I get it. That's a good argument. That's a strong argument. That's a hard argument for us as Christians to wrestle with. People often say something like, um, I often hear people say something like this to me. If God is good, why is the world so evil? If there is a God, he must be evil for the world to be this bad. They don't realize it, but that's exactly what the Bible claims, that an evil ruler has set up shop in our world, and that's why it's so messed up and broken. In John 12, 31, Jesus said, Now this is the judgment of this current world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I will be lifted up from the earth, and I will draw all people to myself. In Jesus' mind, the ruler of our current kingdom is a bad ruler. It's the Satan, the devil. And Jesus saw himself as coming to topple him and institute a new reign, a reign as the rightful king and heir to the throne of the world. So when I look out and I see wars and pandemic and chronic racism, I can easily believe that there is a dark king ruling over our current world. Just look around. But at the same time, the fact that the darkness hasn't completely won, that there are still good people sacrificing themselves for others, helping their neighbors, that humanity, despite all its potential for depravity, is still capable of such nobility, makes me believe that there is also a cosmic good. That there is also a true story, that there is another kingdom fighting a guerrilla war inside of this one. Now, this is important to understand as we're exploring the mission and central message of Jesus as we work through the book of Matthew. The crown of this kingdom was handed from God to humans who handed it to the serpent. The mission of Jesus will be to reclaim this throne and to rule as a human on God's behalf. So let's look at this encounter today in Matthew chapter 4 between the false king and the one true king. Matthew chapter 4 verses 2 through 11. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The devil doesn't show up when it's convenient. Uh, look at this. You know, Luke's account of this exact same story ends by saying this uh, unique note. He says, the devil departed until the next opportune moment. That's in Luke 4.13. The devil shows up when it's opportune for him. The devil doesn't tempt us with lies when we're strong, but when we're weak. He waits until we're tired, sick, when we've been dinged up by a hard day or bad disappointments. He waits for the moments we're most open to believe a lie. He waits for the moment when we want to believe a lie because it's preferable to the truth. The devil's primary mode of attack is not an expressive uh, impressive display of demonic power. He doesn't throw Jesus from the temple. He doesn't shove bread in his mouth. The devil's primary strategy is to get you and me to believe lies about ourselves, lies about other people, lies about God, or lies about the world that we're living in. The devil doesn't so much tempt us to sin. It's much more sub subtle than that. He tempts us to live out lies, which the natural result of living out will be sin. Now, I think this is a key distinctive to understand what he's trying to do and how we can combat it. Some people imagine the devil being behind every random event in their life, every setback, every frustration, every annoyance. They're like, it's the devil. It's the devil. The devil isn't causing you to have flat tires and mosquito bites. He's not the one who makes you extra sleepy on Sunday. You're like, the devil is making me too tired to go to church, right? But what he does do is he tells you lies that are hurting your relationship. He tells you lies that are making you miserable. And he tells you lies that are making you mistrust God. The devil's effect in our life is much more subtle than we usually imagine. He's encouraging us to embrace an idea, an idea that once believed will grow and become our ruin. We primarily fight the devil not through exorcisms, but by dismantling lies with truth. In short, the devil scores when we believe a lie. He retreats when we reject a lie with truth. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But how do we resist him? Jesus shows us here in this passage over and over again. What does he say? To each of these attacks, Jesus responded with the same thing. It is written. Spiritual warfare then is um, about rejecting lives and living out of truth. You do battle with cosmic forces every time you're tempted to believe a lie. You resist the devil when you dismantle his lies with truth. Here's some of the lies that I often hear the serpent hiss in my ear. Everyone will leave you. And to that, I have to remember, it is written, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. 
I hear the hiss say, you're not good enough. You're just not. You're no good. You're worthless. And then I think of Zechariah 3, where Jesus says, he is my servant, a brand that I have plucked from the fire. Uh, one of the hisses I hear all the time is, you're a failure. You're worthless. And I have to remind myself of the promise to not despise small things because God loves things that start small. Um, one of the whispers, the lies I hear is, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It's all going to fail anyways. What does it matter? Why even try? Why give your best? And I have to remind myself, it is written, whatever you do, whether big or small, do everything for King Jesus. Know the lies that the enemy likes to throw at you and memorize some truth so you can remind yourself when he does. Have people in your life who can remind you of truth when you start to believe the lies. Sometimes I'll say something and Darby will say, is that the spirit telling you that? Or is that the serpent telling you that? Is that a lie of Satan or is that a truth? And I'll know immediately as soon as she says that, I'm like, ah, I've started to buy into a lie. First, the devil here. Um, so let's look at the three lies that, that Satan brings before Jesus and see what we can learn from them. First, the devil suggests that Jesus should meet a real need in a wrong way. Jesus was hungry and Satan's like, you're hungry. Why don't you turn this rock into bread and eat? You want to eat, right? God isn't against eating. Remember what Jesus told us to do in remembrance of him, to take bread and wine Jesus is not against eating. In fact, one of my Jewish friends said, every Jewish holiday is just an excuse to eat good food in order to remember. But here, Jesus had set aside time to fast and pray before starting his ministry and choosing his first disciples. Now, the devil shows up and wants to disrupt the time that Jesus has set aside to spend with his father. Ancient Christians would go out into the wilderness um, away from the noisy, busy cities in order to hear the still, small voice of God. But they talked about that in these moments, they were also going to do battle with Satan. They knew that in the quiet moments, they could hear the whisper of God better. But that also meant having to resist and reject the lies of the devil. You know, we get into our car and we turn on a radio. We're home alone and we turn on the television just to have some noise in the background. We're like terrified of silence because in silence, both God can speak to us, but also sometimes we can hear the lies of the devil louder than ever before. Oftentimes pursuing the kingdom of God will put you on the enemy's radar. Every time you take a step to live and love like Jesus, the enemy will take a step to oppose you. You want to avoid confrontation with the devil? Don't do anything. You're no threat to his dissolving kingdom. But Jesus didn't back down. He didn't give up when the devil showed up. He rejected the lies of the devil with truth and the devil fleed from him. Sometimes the lie of meeting a real need the wrong way looks like, you deserve to be happy. Or sometimes it sounds like, if my spouse isn't going to meet my needs, I have a right to meet them some other way. Or it sounds like, if God loved me, he would want to give me what I want. The second lie the devil comes to Jesus with was an attempt to call foolishness faith. He says, hey, why don't you jump off of this, uh, this high point of the temple here? You won't hurt yourself. The angels are going to catch you. God won't let anything bad happen to you. The Satan encourages Jesus to act recklessly. The devil will tell you that by ignoring common sense, safety, you're actually trusting God. 
Too often we blame God for the consequences of our poor actions. It isn't God's fault or his will for you to have lung cancer when you choose to smoke three packs a day your entire life. Like this is just what God did to me. It's his will, you know, this is what he wanted. That's a consequence of your actions. The devil is always gonna try to tell you that your free agency doesn't matter, that what's happening to you, you're simply a victim of circumstance and you had nothing to do with it. Sometimes the lie we hear is, don't worry about it. God will work it out. You don't have to do anything. If God wants to see people come to know him, that'll just happen. You know, like if God wants this to happen, it'll just happen. I don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter because I'm forgiven is another way we hear this lie. Or sometimes whatever happens, happens. Like it's totally fatalistic and it totally removes us from having any responsibility to join Jesus in his work to transform this world into his kingdom. Finally, the Satan will try to convince us that there is an easier way to do what's right. The easy way is rarely the right way. Satan comes to Jesus and he's like, look, if you want this world kingdom so bad, I will give it to you. Just bow down and worship me first. Satan's like, hey, if you want the crown of this world, I'll give it to you and you don't have to go to the cross, but it's going to cost you something else. In the ruined kingdom we find ourselves in, doing right is like rolling a stone uphill. In the kingdom of this world, gravity flows away from good. Sometimes it will feel like doing the right thing is rolling a boulder uphill. And in those moments, the enemy will whisper to you a lie and say, just let it go. What does it matter? It shouldn't be this hard. Just give up. You've done enough. No one appreciates how much you do. You do more than anyone else. These are lies and we have to reject them. Thomas Brooks, a 16th century pastor, said that Satan is a master of presenting the bait and hiding the hook. He always claims there is an easier path while hiding the true consequences of choosing easy over right. And I know all this talk about a cosmic evil intelligence can leave you feeling anxious or leave you feeling afraid. The goal of scripture, though, is not to make you paranoid, but to make you aware. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, Be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion looking for who he may devour. Peter is not telling us to huddle in fear, but to be alert, to be aware. Every day we are confronted with lies, lies about ourselves, lies about others, lies about God, lies about the world that we live in. The great danger of life is to believe that a lie is true and to believe that truth is false. What we believe changes the trajectory of our entire lives. It shapes who we become and how we behave. When we fight the devil, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won the victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than he who lives in the world. The devil is not to be feared because Jesus already beat him. We're acting out of our freedom when we reject lies and embrace truth. Jesus defeated sin and death and the devil on the cross. The devil's days are numbered. His kingdom is coming to an end. It's dissolving away. His ability to lie and deceive are coming to a final end. When we choose to reject lies and live truth, we dismantle the crumbling kingdom of darkness. I want to end today with just the words of Jesus. May they encourage you and inspire you to embrace truth and reject lies.
In John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus says this, If you abide in my words, you are truly my students, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to recognize when we begin to believe lies about ourselves, lies about other people made in God's image, lies about you, and lies about the world that we find ourselves in. All the time, we are constantly confronted with lies, and it's so easy to begin to believe them because we've heard them so often, we assume that they're true. May we go back to what is written and remember that you love us, that you're for us, that you're with us, that you have our backs, that you've already won the victory, that we're not worthless, we're worthwhile because you were willing to sacrifice everything for us. May we remember that we're not failures because we've already won the victory in you. May we remember that this world is not our home, that you are coming and bringing a better kingdom, that we have something good to look forward to, that the hard days ahead are not the end, but the best is truly yet to come because when you rule and reign, you will set things all, all things right. God, help us this week to be keenly aware of the lies that we're believing about our spouse, about our coworker, about our nation, and about our world. Lord, may we just be aware of the lies that we've bought into and believed about ourselves. Will your spirit bring to mind the lies that we have embraced and accepted about ourselves so that we can live out your truth? And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.